She's a wisecracking, tough-talking, smooth-walking former model whose nose for trouble may have got her in over her head this time. From the streets of L.A. to the halls of power in Washington, D.C., she's all that stands between a shadowy cabal and their plot of political assassination that could upset the course of American history. I'm Wyndham Jennings. This is Celluloid Fever Dreams, and hey, wham, bam, here comes Pam, Pam Greer, in this week's film, Friday Foster. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to all the... I still need to come up with a name for you guys. Cinemaniacs, maybe? Eh, we'll go with that for now. Welcome back, Cinemaniacs, to yet another episode of Celluloid Fever Dreams. Weekly walk into the world of wild, wacky, overlooked, and underappreciated films. As I said before, this week's film was from 1975, released by American International Pictures, Starring Pam Greer in what would actually turn out to be her final film for the studio. Before we get into the film, though, I uh, want to do a little bit of a history, a little background on the character itself and how I came to be aware of the film. As I mentioned last week, I'd never even heard of it. This is the first time I ever watched the movie was for this week's episode. I didn't even know the film existed or the character existed until a couple of years ago for Christmas. My wife got me a book called... Uh, the Spectacular Sisterhood of Super Women, Awesome Female Characters from Comic Book History, written by Hope Nicholson, published by Quirk Books, uh, not a sponsor, but if you're interested in uh, comic book history or female crea- creators or uh, characters, definitely one I, I'd suggest picking up and uh, reading. It, it's uh, got the nice balance of information uh, presented in a way that keeps your interest. While Friday made the book because she got one issue of a comic book printed by Dell Comics in 1972, the majority of her appearances outside of this film are in the newspaper. She was the star of her own strip from 1970 to 1974, uh, one of the few African-American and especially African-American female characters to have uh, done so at this point. The uh, first one, in case you're wondering or you want to impress friends with a little trivia, was Torchy Brown, created by Jackie Ormez back in 1937 and ran in the Pittsburgh Courier. Friday Yourself was created by Jim Lawrence and illustrated by Jorge Longerin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But a, a white guy and a Spaniard. Uh, Jorge actually uh, did all the artwork in Barcelona and mailed it in. But uh, from what I understand... And here, here's the other thing. There's no collections that I've come across of the Friday Foster strips. So I had to do some research on people who remembered it and other people who had done articles. From what I understand, both Jim and Jorge tried their best to make it uh, authentic to the period. Jorge actually come around, come to America and spent a week or so uh, going around New York City because the strip's based in Harlem, taking photos and talking to people and doing everything he could to make sure that he got the right look. For the strip and uh, from what I understand Jim tried to do what he could I mean nowadays if he's going to do Friday Foster or if he's going to try to bring her back for something uh, you know you'd want uh, somebody other than a middle-aged white guy to write her 
and I say that as a middle-aged white guy, but anyway, anyway, like I said, for four years, it was popular enough to be carried uh, in several northern newspapers. Uh, one of the reasons I probably hadn't heard from heard about Friday before a couple of years ago is that she was she never appeared in any southern newspapers, considering it's uh, she start she started in 1970. That's not really a surprise though, but. Uh, her last appearance actually was pretty recent. Uh, Dick Tracy, which is still going as a newspaper strip, which, and and just blows my mind. The local newspaper used to carry Dick Tracy, but I hadn't got a newspaper in years. I, I didn't even know Dick Tracy was still around. But did a two week story where he crossed over with Friday Foster, and I like the character. I like the movie. I mean, you know, reading about her in the book is one thing, but watching the film with Pam Greer. You know, I like the story, I like the setting, I like the characters. You know, I, I really think done right, she could make a comeback. She could be a, a modern character, maybe not a newspaper, but, you know, there's something that could be done with her. The uh, story of Friday, both in the book, in the sorry, not the book, both in the strip and in the movie, is that she's the assistant to Sean North, who's one of the world's leading fashion photographers and friday herself is a former model and she's uh, raising her younger brother herself trying to make ends meet and you know like so many of these stories like a nancy drew or uh, you know something like that she keeps finding herself pulled into situations that go beyond the job you know uh, murder theft etc etc the tv the uh, tv the movie <laughs> goes in into that as well like i said she gets involved in a political assassination plot but pam greer is playing friday foster this is uh like i said this is the last movie she did for american international pictures and uh it wasn't just me being funny the official tagline for the film that appeared on posters was wham bam here comes pam because at this point she'd made a name for herself in uh, several other films like uh, Foxy Brown, Coffee, uh, The Twilight People, The Big Bird Cage. Her first credited appearance was actually in a Roger Corman film. I don't know if y'all remember me a couple of episodes ago, talking. Uh, I think it was the Elvira episode, talking about the Roger Corman film school and the number of people that got their start there. And uh, Pam Greer, hey, she can count herself among those. She's... Uh, her... Yeah, her first appearance was uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which was a Roger Corman film. And by this point, she had, and I gotta say, Friday's a little bit of a, a different take on her. Uh, Pam was, as I mentioned in the Last Dragon episode, you know, at this point, uh, a lot of African American films were revolving around uh, the main character having some kind of martial arts skill. You know, there's the toughness, the action star. Pam Greer herself is. Uh, uh, pretty much an action star in the 70s with the films that she did. You know, like I said, Coffee, Foxy Brown, uh, Big Bird Cage. And so Friday Foster, Friday's smart and she's you know, clever and she can get herself out of trouble, but she's not a very physical role. She's not a damsel in distress. You know, she's not one of these that she has to have somebody save her. I mean, she has help, she has friends, but, you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a different role for uh, Pam Greer at this point because before she'd been the you know trash talking you know kick your teeth in if she if uh, you give her a reason to kind of character it's what she's known for so this was a, a little bit of a stretch for her. 
and you know, I just I love Pam Greer. I love watching her on on screen. Uh, yeah, she's you know at this point she's still doing the low budget movies, the action films, but there's just a, a magnetism about her. You just can't take your eyes off of her, no matter what she's doing. It, it, there's just something about her, and she's still working pretty much to this day. I mean, uh, after these movies, she's done things like uh, she did one of my favorite movies. Uh, greased lightning with richard pryor she's in that she's in mars attacks in the 90s uh if you're a certain age and you're a tarantino fan you recognize her from jackie brown uh and she's done tons of television she's done uh bless this mess this is us she has the uh, distinction of being the first african-american woman to appear on the cover of miss magazine and she also has, for all you comic book nerds out there, she was the first live-action Amanda Waller appearing on Smallville. But the uh, story of the film, we'll pick up with that. We'll get into that since y'all know who the star is now. The uh, i got to say, that it, one of the things about films that I don't miss from uh, this era is the credits at the beginning of the film. And the movie opens like a three or four minute Washington, D.C. travel log. I mean, we're just driven around various parts of Washington, D.C. while a song talking about Friday plays and uh, the, the uh, opening credits roll. And I don't know. I, I think the thing that bothers me about this is you can have the credits and you can still start the story. You know, like a more modern film does. So I just, I don't know. To me, it's just wasted time in a way. But the thing that annoyed me is after three or four minutes of driving around D.C. and taking in the sights, we immediately open up on L.A. for some reason. But we're introduced to uh, Friday's editor, Mr. Riley, who is played by Julius Harris, who you may recognize from such films as uh, Shaft's Big Score, Superfly, uh, Black Caesar, the James Bond film Live and Let Die, the uh, 70s King Kong, and a ton of television work over the course of his career. But he uh, comes in in a bit of a huff and, and uh, a bit nervous, and he calls Friday on her phone. Her little brother picks up, and her little brother is uh, shown basically cataloging a closet full of merchandise, I guess. Uh, I guess gifts or just little things like perfume and, and whatnot. Answers the phone, but Riley explains to her that he can't get a hold of Sean, so he has to send her out because Blake Tarr who they call in the film the Black Howard Hughes, is making a return to Los Angeles secretly, and he needs somebody down there at the airport to snap some pictures of him for the uh, magazine they work for. Before Friday can head out, her friend Cloris makes a call and uh, tells Friday that she needs to speak to her desperately. Friday, of course, blows her off because she has a job to do, tells her that she'll talk to her later on in the day, or later on that night. We're cut to the airport where we're introduced to Carl Weathers, and they don't give his character a name that I know of in the film. I actually had to look up on IMDb. The character he plays is Yarbrough, and he's dressed as a security guard at the airport, and we show him I show him coming up two other guys dressed as security guards, and he hands them guns out of a paper sack and then hands them bullets by the handful. I don't know why the guns weren't loaded beforehand, but it's just weird to see them dipping their hands in a bag like it's got M&Ms in it and coming up with bullets and loading the guns up. And uh, Carl Weathers is uh, somebody that you definitely know. I mean, he's 
still working to this day. Before he got into acting, he actually played for the Oakland Raiders, retired in 1974. Before this, he was in the film Bucktown. And in this film, he doesn't really have a lot of speaking roles. A couple of years later, though, he'd be be uh, Apollo Creed in the Rocky films. And from there, he's had a career. Uh, he's in Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's uh, had his own action film, Action Jackson, which had had vanity in it. I mentioned that in the uh, Last Dragon episode. He's uh, Happy Gilmore's mentor in the Adam Sandler flick. Uh, he appeared in Little Nicky. You can currently catch him in the uh, Disney Plus, again, not a sponsor, series The Mandalorian. So, yeah, he's still working to this day, but this is one of his earliest roles. But him and the other two guys are there to assassinate Blake Tar, and they don't notice Friday coming in and finding a spot to hide, trying to get her shot of Blake Tar, and she's there to catch all of it. She gets photos of the assassination attempt of Blake, good shots of the uh, killers, and it's, it's a pretty good action sequence. I mean, these guys... And the police shootout, and and uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of action, a lot of blood. I warn you about that. You know, if you're you're not into that, but it's it's 70s blood, it's fake blood. But the uh, other two get shot. Yarbrough gets away, and he jumps in his car for a chase. And you know, there's a certain level of disbelief, or I guess certain level of expectation you you get out of a 70s car chase i mean you know at some point a car is going to explode however in this film it's just so it's okay what happens is is uh yarbrough is being chased he swerves around a parked car the cop car hits it and somehow just scraping up against the side of it sets the car on fire and it blows up but he gets away and then we cut back uh him and Friday actually, before he gets into the car, run into each other, and she barely escapes being shot. And one of the uh, police officers at the airport distracts Yarbrough and gets shot for his trouble. And Friday gets gets to escape. But anyway, we then, you know, like I said, he gets away. We then cut back to Cloris at her apartment, and she's alone before she had a party going on. And one of the shot guards come in, comes in, staggers in, and dies in her arms. Turns out that uh, it's her boyfriend. Friday calls her. Doesn't tell her what's going on. She's like, you know, I'm returning your call. You said you needed to talk to me. And Cloris blows her off, telling her yeah, there's no need. Uh, just don't worry about it. Don't come over, etc. But then we're shown Friday developing the pictures and showing them to her boss. And Sean finally shows up. And uh, Sean is the uh, token white guy in the film. Pretty much. We'll get we'll get into more of that later, but yeah, he he shows up. Uh, he's you know the editor complains that basically chews him out because you know I couldn't get a hold of you. Friday had to fill in. Friday was almost killed. Friday actually looking at the photos recognizes one of the gunmen, but can't remember where she saw him. And then we cut back. Then we go to the next day. Friday's brother's outside working on his bike, and two really nice cars roll up. And I, when I say nice, I mean, really, this is 1975. Both of them have a phone in them in 1975. And, it's play, and we're introduced to the character of Fancy Dexter, played by Ted Lang. And I think it, it's important to note at 
uh, at this point in the film. Fancy is a character created for the film. The uh, strip, from what I understand, a lot of the characters in the film are originated in the strip, such as Blake Tarr, who is, again, the Black Howard Hughes, indicating one of the richest men in the world, in case you didn't know who Howard Hughes was. Uh, later in the film, we're introduced to Colt Hawkins, who is a successful mystery writer in Private Eye, and pretty well off. Friday herself's a former model. There's two other characters uh, from the com- from the strip that are fashion designers. Her boss is you know the editor of a successful magazine. I, you know, I think the point is in the strip, all the characters are professionals and are doing well in their careers and etc. And in the film, and I get it's a black exploitation film. It's of the time, but the character they decided to add was a pimp and his two fancy cars. One he rides in alone, and the other one which contains all of his girls, who in every scene they appear in is chewing gum. And I'm still trying to figure out if that's just, you know, like a habit they all have, or if it implies something else that I'm not really going to get into as a as a PG-rated thing. But it's a Ted Lang, and for someone like me who grew up, in the you know late seventies and all through the eighties, it's kind of a shock to see him because I think Ted Lang, I think uh, Isaac from Love Boat, the bartender. So <laughs> to see him in in this kind of a role is a, a little bit of a, a shock. Not that he was, you know, uh, not that he was a stranger to these type of films. He'd, before this, he'd appeared in Black Belt Jones. He'd appeared in Trick Baby. Uh, since then, he's still been working. In the nineties, I believe it was he appeared in the the lead in Othello and since then he's appeared in stuff like Drake and Josh on Nickelodeon uh, the the TV series Psych uh, you know just things like that but I just thought it was weird when I was doing a little research come to find out that oh yeah Fancy was created just for the film the pimp character was but he he gives uh, Friday's brother a gift for Friday and asks to him to run it up there to her and this is where we find out what the brother's doing in the closet every time somebody brings friday a gift and gives it to him he puts it in the closet he keeps it for himself because that's how he makes his spending money is reselling gifts guys have bought for her and in fact he he kind of teases fancy with it he's he looks at it and he goes don't you ever want to bring her something else something like gucci or or uh, something like that and he's like man i don't mess with anything italian so, so I thought it was just a nice little uh, subplot that you know her brother is using her in order to get some spending money of his own. <laughs> but uh, Friday comes down and uh, Fancy tries to recruit her. It, it's a, uh, it's I don't know. Like I don't understand why the character's in there, but I did enjoy the scene between uh, the two of them, between Fancy and Friday, and the interplay between Pam Greer and Ted Lang and. You can tell they're enjoying themselves and just the banter between them. It, it's a nice light moment in the film. Uh, so you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide for now. Uh, I, just, for the, uh, just for the little comebacks and little jokes that they're sniping at each other as he tries to recruit her and, and uh, she very quickly shoots him down of the notion. We get to see uh, Sean and Friday on assignment at a, but at first I thought to be a uh, fancy party, but later turns out to be a uh, fashion reveal fashion show somebody uh 
rolling out their new line for the year. And here we're introduced to the aforementioned Colt Hawkins, who's played by Yafet Kato. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If you don't know the name, you know him. Uh, before this, he had appeared in films like The Limit. He had appeared in The Thomas Crown Affair with Steve McQueen. Uh, he had also appeared in Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. He was Dr. Kananga, or Mr. Big. And he was the first African-American Bond villain in the franchise. He also had probably one of the stupidest deaths I think I've seen in the entire franchise. And uh, less said about that, the better. If you don't recognize him from any of those, well, then you probably recognize him from one of his biggest big, biggest films he ever did. Uh, he was one of the ill-fated crew members in Alien. Uh after that, he appeared in films like The Running Man, uh, Midnight Run. He actually was uh, asked to be Lando Calrissian in The Empire Strikes Back, but turned the role down because he was afraid of being typecast. But we're introduced to him. He's there. Uh, obviously, him and, and Friday know each other, and him and Sean know each other, and he's there on assignment following a cheating wife. We also find out that uh, Yarbrough is there. He shows up for the fashion show. Friday sneaks off and tries to make amends with uh, Cloris, who we catch on the phone talking to somebody in a, a heated discussion. And her and Friday kind of get into it about uh, Friday blowing her off and Friday trying to say, you know, it's my job. I couldn't have showed up anyway. And Cloris saying it's too late to do anything about it. And at this point, we're introduced to Madame Rena, the fashion designer whose show this is and who Friday and Sean are trying to get photos of her new collection for the magazine. And Rena is played by Eartha Kitt. And Eartha Kitt is, is like Pam Greer. She's just a legend in entertainment history. She got her start all the way back in 1942. She made her Broadway debut in 1945. In the 50s, she had six top 30 songs. She was Catwoman in the last season of the Batman television series. Uh, more recent, well, I, I say more recent, but if you're of a certain age, you recognize her voice as uh, Isma in The Emperor's New Groove. And if you listen to Christmas music, you've definitely heard her rendition of Santa Baby. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise to me, uh, because at this point in the 70s, Kit was basically living and working and, and doing most of her performing overseas in like Europe and Asia and uh, places like that because in 1968 she'd made some remarks at a White House White House luncheon some anti-war remarks about Vietnam and and what it was doing to the youth of America and to America itself and uh, basically kind of got blackballed by a lot of people in the industry they didn't want to work with her uh, she upset the first lady the CIA actually had a folder on her at one point because they they uh didn't want you know because of the remarks that she made she just couldn't get work in america to see, so to see her in the middle of all this appearing in this film it's a surprise it's a nice surprise uh, i like watching eartha kid uh like her energy i like her the way she performs the way she uh brings herself into every role it uh in fact around the time this film come out there was a article written about the CIA dossier on her, written by uh, Seymour Hirsch. I uh, hadn't got a chance to look at it, but yeah, Eartha Kitt is the 
fashion designer and we're shown her new clothes and, and Friday and Sean are taking photos of it. Uh, as I mentioned, Carl Weathers, Yarbro, I keep wanting to call him Carl because I didn't give him a name, in the movie, uh, gets up and leaves. And then it's supposed to be Chloris coming out as the showstopper and like the, the uh, I guess, main focus of the, uh, the line or whatever. And at first they can't find her. Then she staggers out with a knife in her back and dies in Friday's arms, warning her about something called Black Widow, which you know Friday knows nothing about. We're introduced to Lieutenant Jake, and I don't know if it's an acting choice or if it's something from the strip or if this is just something the director did, but uh, every time he shows up, he seems to be eating. He's got like a bag of chips in his hand. I don't, I don't know why. I'm just going to say it's the 70s. Whatever. But... In trying to find out uh, why somebody would do this, uh, Madame Rena blames Ford Merlot, a rival fashion designer who she claims continuously rips her off, uh, copying her designs and, and her choices, and she actually believes that Cloris was some kind of uh, mule for him, going back and forth from Washington, D.C., where he's based, and, uh, you know, giving him information or, or something. There was some reason she kept going back and forth and back and forth. Yarbrough tracks down Friday and actually tries to kill her at her apartment. And she barely escapes with her life thanks to the assistance of another resident of her apartment building. When recounting the story to Colt and Lieutenant Jake, she suddenly realizes she remembers where she saw the guy from the photo from, that it's Cloris's boyfriend. And Jake tells her that they found the boyfriend's body at Cloris's apartment. And they think that Cloris was killed because they found thousands of dollars worth of drugs in her apartment. So they think that she wasn't being a mole for Ford. She was being a mule for Ford or for somebody. And Friday doesn't think that's her friend. She doesn't think that you know she would do something like that. She knows she wouldn't do something like that. They grew up together, et cetera, et cetera. But at Cloris's funeral, Friday gets Yarbrough's picture. And she tells Colt this, but... He escapes. So Friday does what anyone do, would do in this situation. She steals the hearse and chases him down, following him into an abandoned building where they struggle, and she runs, uh, loses her camera, but she manages to get away and gets arrested by the police for stealing the hearse. Her, uh, her boss bails her out and chews her out. Colt finds more information, though, and saves her from getting her butt chewed out by her boss, but linking Cloris to some activities in D.C. So Friday and Colt go to D.C. and they meet Ford Murlot at, well, there's no other way to put it. They meet him at a gay bar. And I'm just going to go ahead and put a warning here uh, because, I don't know, I, there might be some people who don't like the portrayal of the people in the bar. Uh, might not like uh, Colt's reaction to it because, you know, he's the big macho man and he's not comfortable being in the bar. Uh, etc etc so yeah i'm going to put this in here just as a warning to you that this happens this is part of the story uh at the time it well it's never been right but at the time it wasn't looked down upon his reactions and, and what he says but just go into it knowing this happens and knowing uh colt's attitude to He's not mean to Ford, but he's just very uncomfortable being in the bar. But anyway, Friday tries to get him, tries to get Ford to let her take Cloris' spot at a party. 
he refuses uh you know he lets her know that she's in over her head he's not gonna you know let her do this she drops the black widow name uh ford just looks her in the eye and tells her to go home while this is going on somebody at the bar is watching them and ford just refuses to help her uh, colt stays behind he says he wants to try to talk to ford try to convince him uh, friday leaves and she tries to catch a cab and the guy that was watching her in the bar just tries to run her over in a car it, it's a chase sequence where uh i mean it, it is a pretty intense scene as, as she's on foot he's trying to uh run her over in the car she's barely dodging it, it's a fairly fairly intense scene I mean, especially for the budget they're working on and, and the state special effects and, and stunt people at the time it's a pretty good action scene but she survives the attempt and uh, her and colt come up with a plan on their own on how to get to the reception ford is seen in a phone booth telling somebody about friday and how close she is and what she's put together and once again yarbro shows up and it's I, I get it's supposed to be a gruesome death uh for ford he's he's killed to try to you know eliminate connections and and sort of slow friday down but he he's uh, in the phone booth and yarbro thinks the best way to get rid of him is to back a garbage truck up and crush the phone booth and it's just it's not it's unintentionally hilarious the way that it happens and his little scream before the the thing hits him and all it's just it's wrong i shouldn't laugh at it it's supposed to be an intense moment but it it's not it is so not but friday manages to get to the reception and uh, she manages to talk to the senator and the senator tells her that blake tar is the one behind uh all of it that he faked his assassination attempt he uh you know, is, is the one running the drugs. He's the one doing all of this. Oh, and 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 a nice little role. This isn't the senator, but a nice little thing for me. Uh, the guy who introduces Friday to the senator is a uh, Reverend Noble Franklin. He's played by Scatman Crothers. And again, he's one of those actors you know, you know the voice if you don't don't know the face. He did a, a lot of voiceover work, gravelly voice. Uh, if you watch Transformers from the 80s, he was jazz. Uh, if you're a kid of the 70s, he's Hong Kong Fooey. If you're a horror movie fan, uh, he's Turkle in The Shining. So to see him just even in this little role, it's a nice little thing. Uh, he's done other films. He's also in Black Belt Jones. Uh, he's also in Lady in a Cage. He was in Hello, Dolly. Uh, I probably shouldn't even really be bringing him up, but I was just personally excited to see him in a film. I hadn't seen Scatman Crothers in something in so, well, outside The Shining. I hadn't seen him in something in so long. So, you know, to me, it was just a nice little moment. The senator's assistant turns out to be the one uh, who's behind it. Well, he he's not really the one behind it. He is shown reporting to another man who uh, is played by Jim Backus. And I'm not going to go into a lot of things that Jim Backus has been in. If you've ever watched TV or movies from this era, I'm sure he's had a lot of thing, a lot of roles. I'm sure he's done a lot of things in his life. But Jim Backus is Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island. And if if you don't know him from that, I, I really don't know what else to tell you. 
that's probably the biggest role that uh, the, the role that everybody remembers him from. But uh, the senator's assistant reports to him as filling him in on everything about Friday and the senator. Uh, the assistant actually thinks they can get Friday. He can get Friday to work for them and help them flush out Blake Tar so they can finally kill him. We're back in L.A. and Friday's trying to pitch the story to her editor. He doesn't want it. He he doesn't think there's anything there. Uh, Madam Rena actually calls though, and she wants to talk to Friday. As soon as Friday shows up though, Yarbrough shows up and shoots Rena in the back. Colt chases him. And uh, Friday stays behind to take down Rena's last words. It's a pretty good action sequence between uh, uh, Colt and Yarbrough, or Yafit and uh, Carl, uh, across the rooftops of L.A. And at one point, uh, Colt hiding behind a uh, roof structure and dodging bullets and wondering to himself why he's even bothering to do this. But we all know why. It's Friday. But they fight, and unfortunately, uh, Colt winds up killing Yarbrough, so they can't really connect him to anything. And when he gets back, Friday is taking down Rena's words, but she doesn't mention any of it to him. Uh, she's been given a phone number to call, and as soon as she's able to, she calls it, and is told to go to the Citibank building roof. And it, it appears as I don't know. It's one of those moments where the scene couldn't have happened if she had thought it through. But it doesn't go the way you think it is. She actually winds up meeting Blake Tarr on the roof. And that he needs her help to uncover Black Widow. He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows it's all going down on Valentine's Day. But Colt and Friday go back to Washington. Go back to try to confront the senator. uh, Try to find out what's going on. His assistant sees them. Uh, they can't even get in to see him. The uh, secretary keeps blowing him off. Keeps blowing the two of them off. Keeps uh, saying that she doesn't know where the senator is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, when they come back out, Friday, however, is able to figure out exactly where the senator is, even if she doesn't really know what what is going on. And uh, once back outside, Colt notices that there's a couple of rough-looking guys hanging out near his car. So he sends Friday off try to get to the location while he takes care of the bad guys and friday being friday steals a milk truck but the assistant goes to the location and tries to get his assassins together and i gotta say i gotta say uh this is this is a a scene i had to rewind and make sure i was i was watching what i was seeing was correct because he rolls up, and it's all these guys outside of a compound that's supposed to be outside of Washington, D.C., but very obviously in California. But you have all these uh, guys standing around with guns, and like 90% of them, 95% of them are uh, African Americans. And then right in the middle of all this, you have one white guy putting on a really big, ugly, very fake-looking Afro wig and black makeup on his face and i just i have no context for it i have no idea why this is in there what they were accomplishing what the decision making process was behind it uh but it's him and there's just another white guy there as well who isn't doing this but i just i (laughs) i've rewound it like three times trying to figure out 
why are we doing this and what are we accomplishing and and uh I, I just, I, even now thinking about it i can't figure out uh figure out the reasoning behind any of it especially in this kind of a film but uh luckily in the very next scene friday shows up in her milk truck and drives through all the assassins and runs over the white guy in the, in the blackface so hey maybe that's why maybe that's what we're hoping for but it comes to find out that the senator and the reverend were getting together a lot of African-American leaders from across the country trying to organize a plan, uh, trying to uh, benefit the African-American community in America. And they were, you know, this was like a, a, a conference of sorts for them to organize and come together and work on a plan. And uh, Thurston Howell III is against it and he's convinced the senator's executive assistant to come up with an army and they storm the compound and there's gunplay and yeah this is like i said this was a different role for pam greer if you're used to seeing her like i was uh you know before jackie brown obviously you know she was the the kick-ass and you know shooting and fighting and just doing whatever and to see her in this role I think she shoots one gun to save the senator and then just immediately throws it away. And like I said, it, it, you see more of that in her later roles. But for this time period to uh, you know not be that, not to grab a gun right beside the men and, and uh, fight back like she, she would in some of her other films, a little bit of a, a shift. But naturally, uh, you know, the Blake Tarr and Colt show up and the day is saved, and, and the uh, plan is ruined, et cetera, et cetera, and, and it all ends with her and Colt going out on a date. And honestly, I, I really hate that this was the only film they did to this character. I actually like what I've seen of Friday Foster. Like I said, I'll know of her is the film, what I've seen online. Uh, I like the way Pam Greer portrayed her. She's a very uh, modern woman. There's a line in the film where her and Blake Tarr are spending the night together and she's talking about, you know, she's, you know, you need to find out more about me. And she's like listing off things that, that, uh, she likes. And it's like, you know, men, horses, et cetera, et cetera, several things. She's maybe not in that order, but I, you know, I like that. I like the fact that she is her own person that, you know, she's not the damsel in distress. She's not the, the, uh, hardcore action woman that she is. In you know, Pam Greer's and other films, but this character is still smart. She's clever. Uh, she doesn't back down. She's willing to put herself in danger to do what's right. She sticks up for her friends uh, without falling into the, I guess, the cliche of the strong woman. Uh, you know, she's a nice, well-rounded character, especially for this kind of film. And no, you know, there's you no. Know, she spends a night with the senator. She spends a night with uh, Blake Tarr. She's going on the date with uh, Colt at the end of the film, and nothing is, is made of it. I mean, it's just, you know, that's the way she is. She chooses who she wants to be with. She's nobody's prize. And I really did like the character. I liked the film. It's got its moments uh, that, that maybe deserve a little bit more polish or could have used a little bit more uh, money, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's... It's a entertaining film. If you like the black exploitation type films, if you just if you just want to see a 
film with a strong central female character. This is a good one. It's not the best film ever. It's not even the best Pam Greer film, in my opinion. But for the time I spent doing it, it's an enjoyable film, one that I could see myself going back and watching again in the future. And so I recommend it to you. It's an entertaining film. Uh, I don't give ratings. I just pass fail, and it passes. And you want to see a good good uh, story with a, a strong female lead, decent action, some good stunts, uh, some pretty witty dialogue in a few few spots, then you definitely got to check out uh, Friday Foster. You can rent, at the time I'm recording this, February 2021, you can rent it on Amazon. Uh, you can rent it on FilmRise. Uh, I think you can rent it on Apple. I watched it on a Fawesome TV. And if you don't mind commercials, you can watch it on there for free. But if you don't want commercials, you can rent it. And that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this week and this film, Friday Foster. Definitely one to put on your to-watch list. And next week we're going to be going, well, uh, again, a film I hadn't seen in years, but one when I was younger I loved a whole lot just because of how it ties into uh, the area of the country that I grew up in. We're going back to a Richard Pryor film. Greased Lightning is going to be our film for next week. Hope to see you all there. If you liked what you heard, uh, wherever you downloaded this from, wherever you're listening to it, to me at, leave me a review. Uh, five stars is good. You know, but good reviews. Five stars means that the algorithm picks me up more and I pick up more listeners. And as always, if you liked what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, well, tell an enemy. If you'd like to suggest a film, if you'd like to give some criticisms or correct me on something that I said in, in the podcast, you can find me on various social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter at, at CFeverDreams, Instagram at CelluloidFeverDreams, TikTok at CelluloidFeverDreams, and Letterboxd under Wyndham Jennings. Until next week, my Cinemaniacs. Take care of yourself. There's nothing wrong with putting yourself first when you need to. Taking a little time off and de-stressing or whatever. Preferably with a good movie. Preferably with one that I've suggested. But, you know, that's up to you. Whatever you want to watch. But you can choose to be a lot of things in the world. Choose to be kind. And until next week, I'm Wyndham Jennings. This has been Celluloid Fever Dreams. And hope to see you again soon.